If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Getting a divorce, even thinking about getting a divorce, can be overwhelming, scary, and sometimes exciting. Join divorce coach and mediator Mandy Walker for conversations about divorce. The more you know, the easier it will be to make your divorce healthier, less stressful, and to put it behind you. Here's Mandy. Welcome to Conversations About Divorce. I'm Mandy Walker, and today we're talking about how to decide if it's time to end your marriage. For some people, while this is a hard decision and not something they wanted, it becomes very clear that it is what needs to happen. The situations I've seen where this is the case usually involve domestic abuse, addiction problems, and infidelity. For many other people, though, it's much more difficult. They get along okay with their spouse. They parent quite well together. They're not constantly fighting. They can make decisions, but they say something is missing. Quite often, there's little to no physical intimacy, and they feel like their spouse is more like a roommate. These are the hardest marriages for someone to decide to end. People agonize over the decision for months, even years. Couples counseling oftentimes doesn't seem to help. It doesn't bring a a resolution to the question. And people don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to hurt their spouse. So is there a way you can assess the reality of your relationship? Can you involve your spouse in that process? Can you be sure you're not making a mistake? Well, joining me today are Drs. John Gottman and Julie Schwartz-Gottman. For 40 years, the Gottmans have studied what separates the masters of relationships from the disasters. And they have a new book out, Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. Welcome, John and Julie. Oh, thank you, Mandy. Thank you, Mandy. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. I am so excited to be talking to you. Um, the, the central message or one of the messages in your book is that a happy relationship is not the result of having lots of things in common, but rather from knowing how to address your core differences in a way that supports your partner's needs and dreams. Now, I think that makes sense, but don't we, it seems like we do all look to see how much we have in common with our partner. I mean, that must help. Well, actually, Mandy, uh, the interesting thing is that uh, people believe the myth that you have to have (laughs) a lot in common, and it's a myth that's been around as long as I've been around, 67 years, Um, but the reality is that our research shows it really isn't true, and other research as well uh, has shown that when people actually are very different Uh, genetically in particular, uh, they're much more attracted to each other. Um, You know, one of the things that we have found is that people really do need to embrace their differences because those differences can enrich the relationship. Each person represents a different world. 
And as long as people really stay in touch with that internal world of their partner, they can be uh, fed with adventure, with fun, with nurturing, with wonderful passion. Um, but the key is really staying in touch with who your partner is and how they change over time. So for the person who feels that they've just, I'm, I'm sure that you hear this in your work that says, you know, I think we've just grown apart. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we just, we don't do much together anymore. We just, um, you know, it's, we have different interests. Um, what I'm hearing from you is that that's, that's not a reason to look at ending the marriage. Yeah. It's more typical than, than not really what, seems to be the major problem that you're describing when it's hard to end marriage because you know you you're not close anymore you're not you know you're like roommates that live together but you know there's no romance there's no sexual attraction there's no adventure there's no fun it's kind of it's the relationship has deteriorated to a very long to-do list you know you're sort of doing things together but there's not much oomph in it there's not much desire and not much passion and in fact there was a study done at ucla studying 30 dual career couples in los angeles and they found that typical couple spends less than 10 percent of the time in in an evening in the same room and the average amount of time that couples are talking to each other these young couples is about 35 minutes a week and most of that talk is about errands who's going to do what when right you know, really, people are ignoring the relationship. They're focusing on work and children, and they're not having dates and romantic dates. They're not really focusing on who their partner is, who their partner is becoming. So there's very little emotional connection, and that's the problem, is that they become two lives in parallel, just like two railroad tracks that run alongside one another but never touch. Right. So, um, I mean, this is kind of a joke, but I, I've often thought that people shouldn't live in big houses because the bigger the house, the more separation there is between people. It would be better off if they were in a small house and you only had one option of which room you were going to be in in the evening. <laughs> you know, that is so very insightful. I love that. It's so funny. I have had um, couples in huge amounts of pain who live in eight or 10,000 square foot houses. I mean, these enormous places. And they don't have any conversation whatsoever. One may live in one wing, the other in another wing. Uh, and as a result, as John was saying, they live these parallel lives. And part of why we wanted to write this new book is to really help couples like that, as well as new couples who are looking for partners that might be fitting for a really great relationship, by um, giving them particular things to discuss and a way to discuss them that we have found are really, really important for couples in sustaining a beautiful, long-lasting, and passionate relationship. Right. So um, your book has really, it's about eight eight dates, Mm -hmm. but you, in your book, set out some ground rules for the dates. And I'm reminded I went through couples therapy at one time 
and the therapist talked about us going on dates but she didn't lay down the ground rules that you have and I think if she had it would have been more helpful because it, it's not about going to the movies mm-hmm. right that's exactly right I mean the reality is as John was saying people are so busy that they have forgotten how to talk to each other um, maybe they text each other a little bit or email each other a little bit perhaps uh, so what does that mean? One sentence, two sentences. So what do you do if your partner asks you a great big question like, you know, honey, tell me what was trust like in your family growing up? How did your parents show that they either trusted each other or didn't trust each other? Well, you don't know, uh, answer that with one sentence. You answer that in pages and pages of dialogue. <laughs> right. And so um, what we wanted to create were dates where people were really addressing questions like that, questions that really opened up the heart, opened up the soul, and allowed uh, each person to really see the other, see their values, their needs, their core beliefs, their dreams uh, to learn more about who this person is that perhaps they've been living with for 30 years but have forgotten who they are. So the dates really give birth to curiosity about one another. And I was thinking too, it's even even the example that you gave, Julie, about asking about what was trust like in your parents' marriage I mean, that may be something that you've never really thought about yourself before. So before you can answer that question, you have to kind of really start processing. Hmm, right. What, what do I remember about my parents' marriage? And, you know, how did that change while I was growing up? Yeah, that's exactly right. And for most of the dates, one of the things that we suggest are particular things to, to think about and reflect on in order to prepare for the date. So it's not only a way for you to really know your partner better, it's also a way for you to explore yourself, your own history, your own memories, your own beliefs, your own thoughts and feelings, and then bring those to the date. And each each date is a seed for what you can build with your partner. Right. But those dates have to be an environment where you... uh, committed to engaging in conversation right Mm -hmm. that's right and in fact we had a lot of fun with our co-authors doug abrams and dr rachel carlton abrams um what kind of setting would be perfect for the topic of each particular date so it was lots of fun oh well that's pretty neat um How um, important is it? So I'm talking about people who are thinking about ending their marriage. And could they work through these conversations on their own? Or like, how important is it that they engage their partner in this evaluation? Well, first of all, um, the dates book uh, is not really an evaluation. It's not a judgment uh, of the partner or the quality of the marriage. It's it's really more about um, let's catch up with each other. Let's see who the other person really is. Let's just keep an open mind and 
connect with one another. So this is really all about deepening connection with your partner. When it comes to uh, thinking about a divorce, I mean, that's a whole other thing. And incidentally, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention is that John and I see couples all the time, as do our certified therapists, who treat addiction, who treat infidelity in relationships, and uh, where the relationships not only survive, but thrive those very distressing uh, problems and can do quite well, actually, with, with good quality help. So... This book, again, is really more about um, just connecting with one another in order to really evaluate whether the relationship is going to work or not. That's a whole different process. Okay. So, but it's in that sense, then, if if you were to approach your spouse and say, you know, I, I really want us to work on our relationship. I feel like we've, we've, we're drifting apart. We we don't really talk anymore. We just kind of go about daily tasks. Would you be willing to participate in this with me? Right. Right. Exactly. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you know what else? What else really makes sense, Mandy, is to share a little bit of your feeling too. Um, not only are you drifting apart, perhaps, but, you know, I'm really missing you. I'm missing our conversations that we used to have, you know, a long time ago. I'm a little lonely. I really want us to just connect with one another. Right. So that's conveying um, that when you started to say that, that made me think, well, that would make the other person feel safer about engaging in this dialogue they wouldn't feel so threatened by it yes that's exactly right it helps the other person feel not only safer but wanted right right great and we are going to take a short break here and then we'll be back with more questions you're listening to conversations about only four percent of universities in the u.s are r1 research institutions and temple university is one of them This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. I'm Mandy Walker and today we're talking about how to decide if it's time to end your marriage. Joining me today are doctors John Gottman and Julie Schwartz Gottman. For 40 years the Gottmans have studied what separates the masters of relationships from the disasters. They have a new book out, Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. And Julie and John you have a book tour coming up. Can you share with our listeners how they can find out where they could come and see you in person? Sure, Mandy. Um, at our website, which is www.gottman.com, um, we have a special page that lists all the different cities in the United States where we will be uh, talking to folks who would like to come to a bookstore or to an event. Uh, so you can see the places we're going and the dates we are going. Great. 
Um, so the, your the book Eight Dates. Um, each date is designed to be a conversation around a different topic. You've got trust and commitment, conflict, sex and intimacy, work and money, family, fun and adventure, and growth and spirituality. I wanted to ask you, how hard was it to narrow our world down to just these eight areas? Well, you know, Mandy, uh, being scientists, we we actually uh, had 300 couples (laughs) record their eight dates. 12 dates. 12 dates we started with, yeah. And, you know, and some of them were duds. Some of them really were bad dates. And But we picked the ones that really couples relish the most uh 37% of our couples were new relationships but you know 63% were people who've been together a long time which is kind of what we're talking about today mm-hmm. and 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 for those couples who've been together a long time it really renewed the spark of connection it was it was a crash course in curiosity about one another and the questions were very stimulating and and the conversations went very deep, very quickly. Uh, people got into topics that they ordinarily hadn't talked about, and you know, and it it, it was just very gratifying to listen to, you know, these, you know, twenty four hundred <laughs> dates, uh, and how they, you know, how they helped uh, couples who were same sex couples as well as heterosexual couples, and you know, really kind of renewed the spark of interest in one another i you know i've i've looked at your book and i can i've looked at these conversation topics and i can absolutely see how how though they would do that um is it important to do those conversations chronologically or doesn't it matter i don't think it matters so if a couple was new, like for example, the money was an area of conflict for them, they right. might they might choose to have a couple of other do some others first before they get to that, so that they can kind of get more comfortable with with talking about things before they go into a, a hot topic. Right, and we have we even have some suggestions about how to make the conflict topic much more productive. So. You know, it changes the nature of conflict so they can really get closer to one another you know, in airing their differences. Yeah. I mean, the, these conversations are not meant to be uh, discussions of conflict, right? How to solve a problem. That's really not the purpose of them. Instead, each person has an internal world which has at the center of it one of the topics of this date. So all they're doing during the date is sharing that particular world. So what does money mean to them? For example, John once uh, sat down with a piece of paper, I think it was probably at 3 o'clock in the morning, which he loved, (laughs) and um, he wrote down a hundred meanings of money, meaning like freedom, power, security, you know, all kinds of things. And so part of the discussion, for example, about a a topic like money, which could give rise to lots of conflict, is just tell me what does money mean to you? Tell You know, how was money handled in your family? 
Um, were you taught to save? What was money like for you? How do you feel about money? What does money mean to you at a deeper level? What's been the history of your family with money? So I actually analyzed uh, about 930 conversations that people had where they, they were arguing about money and tried to discern what the underlying hidden agenda that people had. What did they need? What did they feel? What was the meaning of money? Very much what Julie just said. You see, you know, part of what you're bringing up, Mandy, which I think is a, a really insightful point, is that people always have some kind of perpetual issue. They've got big issues that are really difficult to resolve. And part of why they're so difficult is that people have very different lifestyle preferences. They may have different personalities. They may have different histories that give rise to these significant differences in some particular area. And what we found in the uh, relationship therapy that we've done and all the research there, as well as what we did to prepare for this book is that as long as people really understand where the other person is coming from, what their history is, what their dream is, what their values are, then each person can feel more respected, more understood, more empathized with, and it becomes so much easier to reach some kind of compromise. So these chapters are ones in which the conversations are just about understanding your partner and connecting through that understanding. So this is about building, kind of building the foundation, getting ready maybe for some discussions about how to resolve those differences but it's like let's just not talk about the issue that we have that you spend more money on xyz than i think we should be spending or we don't save enough for retirement we're just going to focus this conversation on what our core beliefs are and what our money relationship with money is and how we were brought up and and see how we connect with that Yes, that's exactly right. So one of your ground rules for these conversations then, do you set a ground rule for not jumping into problem solving? We do. Uh, <clears throat> we're really trying to get people to be curious about what their partner feels and believes, what their history is, you know, what their values are, and really explore one another. And, you know, part of what makes relationships go dead is this lack of exploration and curiosity in one another. And Julie and I do it once a year in our, what we call our annual honeymoon, where we get away with our kayak and we spend uh, 10 days to two weeks just asking each other questions. And these open-ended questions really do open the heart. And that's what we're getting at much more. You know, how do you open the heart to one another? How do you make yourself open and vulnerable? How do, how do the questions uh, become an invitation to really talk and explore? So it's really important to listen to what your spouse is saying. Absolutely. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think to, a lot of the times today, your mind is already working on what you're going to say next while the other person's talking. That may be in the cases where uh, the 
the uh, conversation is a conflictual one where you may be feeling put down, you're feeling criticized, or you think your partner is really trying to persuade you uh, to think or feel a particular way, and you don't. So you're preparing your retort, right? Um, But that's not what these conversations are like at all. Um, they They don't have the... Uh, persuasive, I'm right, you're wrong, power struggle right. that sometimes our conversations can descend into. So we have taken very special care in designing the dates so that that doesn't happen, and the conversations remain safe, remain pleasurable, uh, stimulating, and fun. Right. So, and if they get off the off track, if um, you do find yourself um, getting into more of a debate or a, a heated discussion, then one of you needs to call a timeout. Well, it depends how heated it gets. Um, maybe before it gets that heated, uh, one person could say, "Hey, um, let's pause for a minute. I think we're getting off track." Right. We come back to just um, the questions, the questions that are being asked, and just focus on those for now, and maybe save our debates for later. <laughs> and is this? Um, I'm thinking that if you've gotten to the point where you haven't been doing much talking, going out on these dates is it's going to take some practice. Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, that's part of why we designed the questions um, mm-hmm. carefully because lots and lots of people, as John was pointing out, are not having those conversations. They are out of practice or uh, they may be a new relationship uh, where they haven't really gotten to know each other nor have found their stride mm-hmm. in their own style of conversation. So... Um, the questions that we ask, the settings and so on, um, all the coaching that we give folks through the chapters in the books really help people to have those conversations um, without having to worry about uh, am I an artful conversationalist or <laughs> right. not. Right. <laughs> yeah, it just flows naturally from the questions. Oh, that's great. But um, And I think you you probably answered my point here when you were sharing about your annual honeymoon and your kayaking trips but um eight dates it's not just about eight dates is it because you can't just do these eight dates and say okay now we're done you know we're better now and and everything's resolved it's these are about developing the art of these heartfelt conversations and um, changing the way that you've been communicating. Right. That's exactly right. Um, I remember a wonderful, wonderful couple I worked with for a while, and they had such a, a beautiful ritual that they developed uh, during our work together, which they called heart space time, where they would just sit cross-legged uh, together um, on pillows, I hope, because... <laughs> You know, they were older. (laughs) Right. Um, And they would just share what was on their heart. 
you know, we talk a lot about what's on our mind, but we also need to share what's on our heart. Right. Uh, and really attune to the other person's feelings, the other person's thoughts and needs. Uh, and so they did that an hour a day every day. And it wow. was their deep ritual of connection. It was really a beautiful thing. Wow. Um, so, but I'm also thinking, I mean, central to this is, is feeling safe enough to be able to communicate honestly with each other. Mm-hmm. That's true. And learning how to communicate what you feel without what we call in our research the poor horsemen of the apocalypse. Um criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling, where you just shut down like a stone wall. So um, uh, we have lots and lots of books um, that talk about the antidotes to those. And safety really involves people describing themselves, not describing their partner. If they describe their partner negatively, that's where the criticism starts coming in right. and the defensiveness. Right. So very, very important uh, when you're sitting down to talk, uh, to talk in such a way that you're really describing yourself um, so that your partner can hear you and can empathize more with what you're feeling as opposed to getting defensive. Right. And I was thinking that, you know, that sometimes that's the value of couples counseling, having a neutral professional there who can moderate and perhaps like say, well, let's rephrase that question as to how you experience it. Right. And um, these these eight dates, you don't have the value of that third party neutral there. Yes, that's true. Um However, uh, we have a very, very careful structure for each date in terms of what particular questions uh, to discuss and the preparation for those uh, discussions. Uh, And if folks um, need counseling, that's a whole, you know, that's different. That's a different area, right? Um, But again, it also... Uh, in our therapy, what we've developed over the last 25 years is a therapy where um, we, you know, we really love our clients, but we can't go home with them. (laughs) (laughs) And so what we try to do is teach our couples, uh, which we do in our workshops as well as our therapy work, um, how to have conversations, even about difficult topics, that they are skilled enough uh, to handle eventually on their own. Right. And we teach them the skills and the empathy and so on uh, and different ways of connecting with one another that can be much more successful for them than what they've been practicing in the past. Right, right. So um, this is not a replacement for, for counseling, but it could be a good way to see if, if your partner's willing to work on your relationship, um, do you think, have you thought about any, are there any situations where um, the relationship would be too far gone for the want of a better description, the eight dates wouldn't work or wouldn't be productive? Hmm. Well, 
Um, I think one situation, uh, first of all, would be when one partner wants to do it and the other partner absolutely refuses. Yeah. To yes. That's not a good sign. <laughs> well, it's not going to be a very good date. <laughs> right. Really. Uh, they call that going solo. Uh, yes. Right. <laughs> Um, let's see. That would be so you can't you can't do just do this like go through the motions of doing this, right? Um, sorry, I didn't quite hear. The you question. can't go through the motions of doing it. You oh, have you to can. really get into it. Yeah, you do. Yeah, um, you do have to get into it, and because the questions are uh, eventually deeper and deeper, um, it's almost impossible to go through the motions of it. Uh, because if you're going to go through the motions, you have to explore yourself in the process. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, John and Julie, we are up on time and I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with me today and talking about your new book and your new work on eight dates. Thank Thank you, you. Mandy. It was really fun, Mandy. We really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you. Yeah. Um, listeners, if, if you're in a roommate marriage and you want more, then I would encourage you not to just accept the status quo. Have the courage to ask your spouse to explore how you could improve your relationship together. And I think that's a big clue there. If they're not willing to work with you, then you know you're not on the same page. And while you can bring about some changes on your own, it's like pushing a truck uphill. And you have to ask yourself if this is the relationship you want. But if your spouse is willing to explore changing your relationship, then go for it because nobody wants to end a marriage and then regret it and feel like it's a, it's a mistake. We all, when you make that decision, you want to be sure that it is absolutely the right decision for you. And so go forward and have courage. Don't let your fear that you settle for something that you, for what you have today when it could be better. Thank you so much for listening. If you hop over to my blog, SinceMyDivorce.com, you'll find a synopsis of this conversation and you can follow me at SinceMyDivorce on Twitter and Facebook. And I hope you'll join us again next time for more conversations about divorce. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.